Welcome to Disability Talks, a podcast produced by Abilities in Motion. I'm your host, Shelley Hauser. Join us for real conversations and no-nonsense talk from everyday people with disabilities living their most independent everyday lives. Tune in for the latest news surrounding disability, accessibility, and independence, where conversations aren't dissed and stories that need to be told aren't missed. So let's talk. Welcome back, listeners. This is your host, Shelley Hauser, and I am here on Disability Talks. Today, our special guest is from Kremer Eye Center, Dr. Aaron Cohn. Welcome, doctor. How are you? Hi, Shelley. I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show today. Absolutely. I know the amazing work that you and your surgeons do there. And I really wanted to bring some eye disease awareness to our listeners as something different. So, Dr. Cohn, can you tell us more about you and, and why you became an eye surgeon and a little bit of background about Kremer Eye Center? Of course, yes. Yeah. So I guess to start off with Kremer. Kremer's been around since 1980. It was started by, by Fred Kremer as a refractive surgery and other type of surgical procedures and has grown to be, I believe, I think we're at eight, eight offices nowadays with about 10 surgeons and, and 10 other eye care professionals. Uh, my, my beginning with Kremer started in 2016, um, but I started in ophthalmology after my, my residency, uh, where I did in Michigan back in 2009. And then I did a fellowship in glaucoma, which is kind of my expertise back in 2010. And I've been working around the area while my wife was finishing her training. And then uh, I moved back to the area in 2012. So my life, I think, as a surgeon began. Um, it's hard to pinpoint the exact time, but I like to think it's when I did a rotation in Ethiopia, actually. I did some training there kind of on a whim because I actually planned to be an emergency medical doctor and had this extra time in my schedule. And when I went to Ethiopia, it was an eye hospital and it it blew me away the change that could happen when you, you perform even simple surgery like cataracts. And, and for me, that was a life-changing event. So that's kind of where I got my, my itch to do ophthalmology. Nice. Ethiopia is a beautiful country and it has wonderful, beautiful, kind people, doesn't it? It does. I actually saw a patient in Ethiopia yesterday. I'm so awesome to practice my umbaric on them. It was great. <laughs> nice. Very nice. So what are the most common eye problems that you personally treat there at Kremer? Yeah, so like I said, my specialty is glaucoma and cataracts, but I think my day-to-day, I see a lot of dry eyes, you know, a lot of cataracts, a ton of glaucoma, and those are my three main things I treat, you know, the, um, the bulk of my time spent with those main diseases. We have a lot of retinal diseases, diabetes that I see occasionally, but we often have our, our retinal colleagues see a lot of that on a regular basis. So are most of these diseases something that grow over time or are they more genetic? That's a good question. Uh, I think it varies depending on the disease, obviously. For, for cataracts, it's, I like to tell everybody that no matter who you are or how old you are, eventually you're going to get cataracts. So generally, cataracts are showing up on people's exams in their 50s, but they become significant to their vision at a, at a wide variety of ages. And you know, I've done surgery on patients for cataracts as young as 18 and as old as 97. Uh, so for that, that's a kind of a genetic predetermination to get cataracts, but when they become significant, it varies based on your lifestyle, uh, how much sun exposure you have, uh, if there's inflammatory diseases in your, in your system, things like that nature will make it present earlier. Things like dry eye disease, that can also depend on some genetic predeterminations. Um, there can be a disease like ocular peptidoid that would be an uh, early cause for, for dry eyes, but people will get dry eyes just from allergies or again, environmentalist triggers, poor diets, a whole host of things can cause dry eyes. And then glaucoma definitely has a genetic determination to it. There's probably 80 to 100 different genes linked to glaucoma, but for whatever reason, we only have been able to localize that to about 10% of the causes of glaucoma. 
Uh, so most of the glaucoma we see, we call secondary glaucoma. We don't have an exact reason for why they have it. I mean, it just kind of comes on from um, probably a combination of genetic issues, again, lifestyle things, and, and certain type of age-related changes that happen. So diet really does seem to play a part in over, overall care of what happens to our even our eyes, right? Oh, I absolutely think so, yeah. It's something that has become more and more part of my practice, actually, and in, in, from my studying my own family's kind of changes in our, in our diet. I think that um, it's underexplored in how we treat disease these days. You know, oftentimes we're trying to look for quick surgical treatment or quick medical treatment when we ignore people's diets and how their lifestyle needs to be modified to kind of minimize some of those d- disease burdens that they have. Cataracts is in 50 and over, but you said something about it being in younger patients too? Absolutely. Yeah. So while the prevalence is much higher as you get older, and the same is true for glaucoma and, and dry eyes as well, you know, I've seen all these diseases in younger patients. And they generally come on for other types of reasons. Uh, there might be trauma-related. There might be some genetic predetermination for it. They have a congenital cataract, general glaucoma. But it's less common, but not. Uh, it's still a huge burden on the patients and the families if those diseases are present. Can anything be done to prevent this at, a, at younger patients? You know, it's, prevention is, is always a thing we want to do and, and try and maximize prevention and maximize trying. Again, like, I think lifestyle modifications is probably the biggest thing a doctor or physician or anyone in the medical profession can do because by altering lifestyles, you can actually help people with their disease like diabetes and things. For cataracts, unfortunately, it's, it's kind of something that's going to happen regardless. And unless you're going to sit in the dark and not look at anything and have no sun exposure and anything, it's hard to kind of stop the cataract progression. And basically, the congenital ones are, are there almost from birth for some kids and, uh, and are at a young age. There's nothing you can do to really stop those. Uh, so treatment, unfortunately, relies around, around surgical approaches generally. Talking about uh, glaucoma, I think I read that it's higher in Afro-Americans. Is this true? Yeah, so there's two main types. Well, there's a lot of types of glaucoma. We talk about glaucoma as kind of a collection of diseases that has like one endpoint, and that endpoint is the optic nerve. And so I, I like to describe it to my patients as thinking like the eye is this big satellite that takes all the light from the world. It has to send that light somewhere, and it takes the optic nerve to like kind of channel it or use a, a cable, I call it, to bring it to the brain. So that cable is where the glaucoma takes hold. So once a disease process occurs, that nerve is kind of atrophying or thinning or losing its ability to see light. So all the glaucoma is diseases around the optic nerve. So having said that, there's kind of opening of glaucoma, we call it, and narrowing of glaucoma. And those kind of relate to kind of the natural drain inside the eye and how well it can move fluid outside the eyes and not raise the pressure. So for opening of glaucoma, that's much more prevalent in Caucasians and African-Americans. And then narrowing of glaucoma is more common in some of our Asian-American or Asian population. Uh, I think the prevalence is somewhere around 48% in some studies for African-Americans and then for, for opening of glaucoma and about 0.5 to 1% for, for Caucasians. So it's much more prevalent in our uh, African-American population. And how do you treat that? So all, all glaucoma is generally related to kind of taking care of the only modifiable risk factor, which is the pressure inside the eyes. So there's there's not much I can do to alter someone's genes yet, um, although that may be coming soon. There's not much I can do to kind of change who their family is or you know, where they came from, but the pressure inside the eyes, we can modify with medications, eye drops or some oral medications. We can modify it with certain type of laser procedures, and then we can modify it with, with surgical procedures. And those are treatment, treatments for all types of glaucoma. Do you find that it's a permanent fix or that maybe it needs to be touched up, you know, after maybe 10, 15 years? Right. So that's a great question too. So yeah, um, you know, glaucoma, once you have it, it's not, doesn't go away. So it's, it's an ongoing disease and there is no your quote-unquote cure for glaucoma. There are treatments here to reducing the risk for glaucoma. Uh, so some surgeries that we've done, I, I actually did a study back when I was a fellow. I saw 
my mentor did a surgery on a patient and like 30 years later, it still worked. You know, so it just depends on what type of surgery it is and how severe the glaucoma is. Some patients get what's known as a selective laser trabeculoplasty. That's a, an office-based laser procedure. And I seen them 10 years later and they're still doing great with no eye drops. Uh, on the other hand, there's some patients who've had two, three, four surgeries and are still struggling with the disease. So there's a great variety in how people handle it and how each eye deals with the disease. Well, this is some really interesting stuff, but I think right now we're going to take a short commercial break and we'll be back with Kramer Eye Center and Dr. Aaron Cohn. Abilities in Motion is one of Pennsylvania's premier centers for independent living, existing to educate, support, and promote individuals with disabilities. Our programs are focused on providing opportunities for individuals with disabilities to live independent, self-determined lives. Abilities in Motion advocates for local, state, and national laws that protect the rights of people with disabilities. We are proud to create innovative and sustainable solutions and set trends using multi-focused approaches towards shaping national education, employment opportunities, in-home supports, and health care that affects the lives of individuals with disabilities. For more information about programs and services Abilities in Motion provides, call 610-376-0010 or visit our website at www.abilitiesinmotion.org. And welcome back, listeners. This is Shelley Hauser, and we are talking with Kremer Eye Center. Dr. Cohen, tell me more about rare eye diseases that you've come across or or special cases that uh, Kremer has served over the years? Yeah, so most of our surgeries today nowadays are cataracts, LASIK, and glaucoma surgeries. And uh, we do thousands of surgeries a, a year uh, across you know, all spectrums of the uh, you know, socioeconomic uh, ladder. We've done many professionals and you know, local sports teams as well. But a bulk of our stuff is just local community members. We try and help out and, and, and see better. You know, the surgery center we, we utilize now, we just moved to a, a wonderful new center over in Wayne. Uh, we have our own localized, our own uh, center now with three ORs and our own laser service there in the center. And it's, I think what, when I was thinking about this question, you know, what, what got me into ophthalmology, as I mentioned in the intro, was, was working in Ethiopia. And it was like having these patients, again, in Ethiopia, walking in with their grandkids or whoever, walking them and screwing into the operating room. And then like they'd stay the next night and then these patients just walk out under their own power the next day being like, oh my God, I can see light again. And I've actually been able to have that experience, you know, unfortunately, too many times here, even in America. It's like at least once or twice a week, I'll be in the operating room and there'll be a patient with what we call a hand motion or light perception cataracts who can't see anything other than the motion behind them. And then the next day they come back in and they can see like almost all the way down to the bottom of the chart and, and they're they are blown away. And the expression on their face, their family's face, it's, 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 it's incalculable how, how much change you're able to in, um, create in that one little instance. Yeah, that's what made it important and, and amazing for me. Yeah, so it's very life-changing for a lot of folks. Absolutely. Yeah. So the funniest thing people say to me is like the next day they'll come in and they're like, have, have had one eye done and they'll say, I didn't realize my shower was so dirty or I didn't realize the color was different on, on the tiles. And they're like, it's always been yellow, but now it's white. I don't understand. And it's like they've been living with a cataract for so long, you know, they didn't realize there's a more color in the world. And for that's awesome, too. <laughs> that's that's funny. Speaking of color in the world, is there anything that can be done for uh, persons that don't see color? You know, I don't know a whole lot about, you know, color color deficiencies. Uh, most of those are genetic issues that can't be altered. Um, nowadays, our technologies are trying to create all the time to improve retinal diseases. There's things called the Argus lens. There's, you know, telescopes you put in people's eyes. Um, but I believe color vision, unfortunately, is not something they're able to um, adjust yet. Um, I think it has to do with the mix of the photoreceptors in, in the retina and how hard it is to kind of configure that perfectly and, and have a computer chip, you know, reprocess the light. 
That's interesting. Yeah, it's something, it's again, some sort of disease that we just don't think about, but yet it can, yeah. it's a disability that changes a person's life. About 90% of the population, 90% of the male population has some type of color blindness uh, of some sort or color deficiency. And they actually don't know, actually. Does it come with, uh, you know, you said it comes in males, but does it come in more Asians or more Caucasians or is it an ethnic thing? No, I don't. I don't. I don't really know the the complete epidemiological breakdown. I think mainly it's like an excellent. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, an excellent disease, and so the, it's more common in men mm-hmm. because they only have one X chromosome. Um, but I think that's across the board across across the world. But I think what you and and the other Kremer staff and surgeons do is no pun intended, very eye opening, <laughs> and and I love the way Kremer gives somebody back their independence. Yeah. To, to live, to drive, to, to read, to, you know, what other things do they, do they find? Okay. They can see color again. What other things do some patients um, notice have changed the most once they have surgery? Right. So I think the, the, the two types of surgery that really is, is common is like cataract surgery and LASIK, you know, so you patients who come in for LASIK and, and that we do both eyes at the same time for LASIK or something also called Vizian uh, intracolumnar lens. And that's another kind of LASIK light procedure where you, uh, you generally have younger patients who have very, very large prescriptions in their glasses who can't see anything without the contact of glasses on at all. And then they have this surgery and, and the same day they're like, oh my God, I can see the clock across the operating room and you're like, but I just did this. And they're like, they can see it right away. And so that is a huge improvement in their like, independence. You know, I think you hit on that exactly. And same thing for cataract surgery, you know, patients generally rely on their family, you know, can't always work during the nighttime because they can't drive at night because the glare is so bad or they're not able to maneuver in their house. I've had patients tell me they can't walk down stairs because their, their vision is so bad. And then all that can be returned after cataract surgery or for LASIK patients who are, can now become independent and do everything that most of us take for granted. You know, I think most of us are, you know, what's, it, what's the term? We're not disabled. We're, we're like temporarily able, right? Isn't that the term people use? Yeah, yeah. definitely. How young... Do surge eye surgeons work on patients? Yeah, um, so our center works on patients eighteen and over. Um, as a fellow and a resident, I, I worked on patients younger than that. And I remember actually a couple of patients in Chicago where I did my fellowship. I had uh, a couple of children who were a year old who had glaucoma, and so doing surgery on them was again life changing for them. And it really opened up my eyes as to like how young patients can get these diseases. You know, if you don't treat the glaucoma at a young age, kids go blind. You know, and they never see. <laughs> and that is just a terrible thing to, to contemplate. And so it was lucky that this patient was able to come in and be recognized by uh, his local optometrist and referred to us for, for care. And we did the surgery. And for the year I saw him and beyond that, he was doing great. And you guys, if you don't have the answer to something or it's a specialty, you guys have a whole network of partnerships across the region, uh, I guess, across several states because you're in New Jersey as well. So tell me more about some of the partnerships that Kremers created over the years. Sure. So you know, our, 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 special, our company is in um, Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, I think at this time. Uh, and you know, mo- most of our, our, our disease is with the anterior part of the eye, cataracts, glaucoma, cornea disease, LASIK. Um, there's an amazing group in the area uh, called Mid-Atlantic Retina. They work at a Wells Eye Hospital. We do a lot of the retinal diseases. So we've usually referred most of our retinal diseases to disease uh, treatments to them. Other local retinal doctors at Shea Eye Institute or you know, up in Wyoming and Reading, there's also great, great facilities up there. So when we see patients who have really bad diabetic uh, macular edema, really bad diabetic disease, we refer to those retinal specialists for, for care um, because that is also an ongoing you know, super specialized treatment that we just don't have current in our company to take care of. But with this partnership, we definitely refer back and forth with them, you know, day in and day out. 
Um, what can lead to the loss of, of eyesight besides genetics and, and our health, the way we eat? Uh, trauma is one. What else do you see? So the, for diseases like you know, cataracts and glaucoma, glaucoma specifically, there can be many types of uh, secondary causes to them. And these are more common in younger patients. So inflammatory diseases is a big one that I see a lot. So we have a term called uveitis, which can be related to autoimmune diseases like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. Um, there can be infectious diseases where you have bacterial viral infections inside the eyes that then lead to inflammation, which then cause glaucoma. Uh, and then even patients who have a certain type of um, you know, neoplastic disease, cancer-like diseases, they can also affect the eye in a very real way. So diseases in the back of the eye, like ocular melanoma, which is basically like melanoma in the back of the eye, that can be a pretty traumatic experience for patients. But uh, even types of um, cancers inside the iris itself, you can create glaucoma and other vision loss from, from that. If you have inflammatory diseases, the treatment is often medically related initially. And then if you have a loss of the, the angle or the natural drain, like I was talking about before, then you need to have surgical approaches to treat the glaucoma from inflammatory diseases. But people can lose eyesight from all sorts of things, even dry eyes itself and left untreated can, can cause blindness. You, know, you can get a total deterioration of the cornea and without that, you, you can't see. You know, it's like you lose the window to the world. So the takeaway is to really, if your eyes are acting off and you have floaters or light in your eyes or they're not seeing and adjusting correctly to light or dark, take it seriously and, and go see a surgeon or an eye doctor, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, with glaucoma specifically, we say that 50% of people with glaucoma have no idea they have this, the disease because it's a si silent loss of vision, generally in the periphery. People don't notice that until it kind of affects your central vision. So, you know, routine eye screening at least once a year for your local eye doctors is essential. You know, being aware of any changes you notice in your day-to-day -day life is essential. And, and just being, you know, being aware. And that's always the hardest thing for people to do these days, especially during this coronavirus crisis where so much else is going on. You lose track of what's right in front of you sometimes. Yeah. So we, I mean, we, we were open even during the pandemic for emergencies and from May on. So we were there when people need us and we're still going to be there. Were you able to do surgery after a few months and getting back to normal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Funny word now, right? Yeah. Um, so from the, the initial shutdown from, I think it was early March to like May, we were completely shut down from any elective surgical procedure. We still did a few emergency procedures. I, I know I did. And we saw emergency patients on a day-to-day -day basis as they came in. Uh, but once Governor Wolf lifted the elective uh, surgery restrictions, we were doing surgery beginning of May and have been since. Okay. So it really hasn't affected you too terribly. <laughs> no, no, yeah. not us. Yeah. Because some surgeries really just need to be done and it's if you don't get it done in time, it could get worse and, and blindness or whatever happens. Actually, there was one patient I just remember now who I saw right before the shutdown. He, had, he was a young guy, I think he was like 48, 50 years old, and he had massive cataracts in both eyes and he couldn't work, you know, and he was trying to get back and back to, back to his job. And he, like, we were going to sign up for the cataract surgery, but it got canceled because it was, it was signed up for March. And so I had to keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And this this poor guy. I was finally able to do his first eye. Like I was trying, actually trying to get his emergency surgery, but they, they wouldn't let me do it. So I had to wait till May, the first week of May to do a surgery. And once he did that, he was like, his whole world opened up again. He, he'd go back to work. He'd go back to driving and do everything he needed to do. It was within a week. Yeah. And typically it's like within a few days to a week until they're healed enough to go back. Yeah. So what we tell patients for you know recovery, you expect within a day or so, you can generally drive yourself around the next day or the day after. Usually you say there's a week where you can't do any heavy lifting. And I tell patients to hold up changing their glasses or prescriptions about two to three weeks after cataract surgery. Uh, but for this gentleman, yeah, he was able to drive himself in the next day to be seen for his follow-up follow visit. 
I think that's one thing that, that surprises me that I wanted our listeners to know that the surgery really is in and out, is completely safe. I've seen amazing work done at Kremer and, um, and it seems to be such a short amount of healing return back to life, you know, everyday skills in a very short turnaround. You look at the the history of cataract surgery. Actually, I gave a lecture on this like a year or two ago. Like in the old days, before 1950, people would be stuck in the hospital for 10 days waiting for their cataracts to heal. They'd be supine laying down with sandbags over their eyes. You know, it wasn't until modern techniques came around, you know, 1970s, 1980s, that people could actually stay in the hospital only one. But, but nowadays, our surgeries are so efficient and I don't say risk-free, but there's less, definitely less risk to it. They're they're in the hospital or in our surgery center for about two hours at the most, and they go home the same day. One final thing I want to talk about with eye care is what is the best way we can care for our eyes either during the summer months or the winter months with snow and sun glare? So there's there's um, you know special glasses that will take care of certain type of ultraviolet rays. So you want to have sunglasses that block UVA and UVB sunlight. And then some patients really appreciate that what's known as a blue blocker uh, light that helps out with certain types of glare. I know I have those for when I'm driving. Sunglasses are probably the best way to protect your eyes during the sun. And in the snow, it's the same kind of thing. If you're a skier or a snowboarder or a snowshoer, you need to have goggles that have you know, certain type of filters on them to block out those sun rays. And it is, you know, especially like early in the morning, we hit that sun glare driving to work. And the snow glare is just as bad. Absolutely. Well, I hope we get snow this year. Last winter, there was no snow here, which... Yeah, I didn't get to take a snow day off myself. I get that. I think snow days are, are gone, man. With 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 how people are taking care of their work at home, we're not going to have snow days anymore. Yeah, that's what the, that's what the kids in high school are worried about. That too now. Yeah, they're done. <laughs> so, how can our listeners find Cremer uh, Eye Center and you and your office? Great question. Yeah, so we have a, a pretty wide um, social media presence. We're on Facebook, on Instagram, Twitter, um, LinkedIn. So if you ever need us, you can look on there at Kremer Eye Center. Uh, we have our own website if you want to look at it as well, kremereyecenter.com. Uh, we have we have uh, offices throughout the area, tri-state area. I currently work in the Limerick office, um, Springfield office, King of Prussia office in Center City. And we, we just opened up a new main center for us in the King of Prussia area, just behind um, the Valley Stream casino, but it's this nice, new, beautiful building all on one floor. So it's very accessible to patients with disabilities, you know, wheelchair accessible, all that good stuff. There's no stairs at all. Uh, so that makes it very nice for our patients who are, you know, rely on walkers and, and need assistance. That brings up a question that I just had. Talking about accessibility, how do the surgeons accommodate a person with a walker or a, a wheelchair that needs to lay back for surgery? Yeah, I mean, it's not a big issue actually for the surgery because we have special surgical operating tables that can you know, articulate itself up and down for the patient. And all of our patients, when they come in, if they walk in or are wheelchaired in, they have their own chairs. They then go in a wheelchair from our pre-op area to the surgery. So no matter if you walk or don't walk, we want you sitting down, relaxed and comfortable so that we can kind of guide you there and not worry about you slipping or falling. There's some specific case session I can think of on my past. I've had, I've had to operate standing up a couple of times, which is not our normal. Usually we're sitting down, we have a microscope and we have our feet on two different pedals. And so we have to use you know, all of our limbs to kind of do the surgery. But I had a couple of patients who just couldn't lie back because of um, spine issues or even breathing issues. And they had to be essentially 45 degrees articulated. And you know, doing that surgery was a challenge, but we were able to accomplish it. So we can accommodate most patients in that way. Oh, that's good to know. Thanks for letting our listeners know that because, you know, so many times a facility is not accessible for us and we need and we can't have the healthcare that we need. So it's important for our listeners to understand that you truly are accessible in, in every way. Well, 
Dr. Aaron Cohn, thank you so much for being here and informing our listeners of all the things that we need to really pay attention to. And even in these times of COVID, not be laxed uh, with our eye care because it is the windows to our world. So thank you so much for all this information. It's been a joy and quite a pleasure to have you and Kremer Eisner on the show today. Thank you for the time and uh, putting this together. And our listeners, thank you for listening. If you liked our show, please hit that like button and be sure to subscribe and get notifications when we have another episode of Disability Talks. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Disability Talks. Want to keep the conversation going? Then visit our website at abilitiesinmotion.org or connect with us on social media. And remember, don't diss my ability.